When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The FT. The changes to the state pension system and what they mean for you. Why not all equity income funds are created equal? And what a visit to your bank branch might entail in years to come, if, that is, bank branches even still exist. All this to come in this week's FT Money Show. I'm Jonathan Ely, and I'll be giving you all the money news this week in downloadable form with the help of my FT colleagues, Joe Cumbo. Hello. Tanya Poli. Hi. Lucy Warwick-Ching. Hello. And our special guest, Adrian Locock of Hargreaves Lansdowne. Hello. Let's start with the week's big news. On Monday, the government unveiled a major shake-up of the state pension system. The white paper that forms the basis of proposed legislation was expected, but these are nevertheless very significant changes. The basic state pension is currently £107 per week for an individual with a full history of national insurance contributions. The better off can supplement this by making contributions to what used to be called SERPs and is now known as the State Second Pension, or S2P. Lower earners can avail themselves of the means-tested pensions credit, which brings the total up to around £144. The problem with this system is that it is very complex and very few people have any real idea of what they'll end up with in retirement. So instead, the government is proposing a universal state pension of around £145 per week at today's prices, and this is to be introduced in April 2017. The great virtue of this is that it is simple and transparent. Savers will find it much easier to ascertain what they are likely to receive. But you cannot tinker with something as complicated as the pension system without creating some winners and losers, and here to help identify which camp you fall into is our pensions expert, Joe Cumbo. Joe, broadly speaking, who are the winners from this overhaul? The winners are the individuals who would expect to receive less than £144 currently. Now we're talking about low earners, um, people who have taken time out to, to look after people, women mainly, who've got damaged career records or carers, and the self-employed who currently can't earn more than enough through their national insurance contributions to get more than the basic state pension of £107 per week. What will happen from April 2017 when this reform is scheduled or penciled in to be introduced is that basic pension will rise to about £144, £145. So if you've got the full contribution record, you're going to be levelled up. So you'll be getting, uh, instead of 107 the maximum 144 And who are the primary losers? Again, it's the people who are expecting to get more 
than £144. We're looking at higher earners, anyone else who has contributed um, and contracted out through the state second pension or making additional contributions which have enabled them to, to build up state pension of anywhere up to £250 per week under the new system. The most you'll be able to accrue is £144. But there are also big consequences for people who are currently contracted out of the state pension. Instead of paying their um, um, money into the state scheme, they're paying into a workplace scheme. And in lieu of that, they're paying less national insurance. But that rebate will come to an end. It will mean that from April 2017, that those up to 8 million people in private uh, sector and public um, sector final salary schemes will have more in terms of tax bills to uh, to cover the shortfall from that national insurance rebate. And what will happen if you are very close to retirement, if you're going to retire between, say, now and 2017? Um, what What's the outlook for you and can you do anything to improve your state pension? Uh, at the moment, the uh, reforms are, cu- are due to come in on April 2017 and qualification for the new state pension will be based on your state pension age. You cannot bring that forward or bring it back. Um, It's bad luck basically if you um, are due to get the state pension before April 2017. Okay and the £144-145 a week, that assumes you have a full record of national insurance contributions. If you do not, if you don't have the full 35 years or or whatever the figure is, can you still um, buy more years of contributions? Yes, if you're um, going to reach your state pension age after the reforms come in, but you're pulled up short, say you've got 30 years, when 35 will get you the full record, you'll get £144 per week, there will be an opportunity and there is currently an opportunity for you to to buy back some of those missing years. Um, Currently it costs about 350 quid for a year. So that's not bad value considering the uh, your income will be index linked going forward. So that's pretty good. But there are restrictions on how many years you can go back. Uh, currently, it's, you can only go back to 2006. So if you've got a long broken record and you want to try and catch up to get that full pension, you're restricted at the moment. But the government yesterday said that it was considering uh, making that more generous to give people more time to buy back those years. So, but we will have to see what comes out uh, through Parliament in the next few months. OK, and finally, the state pension is a lot, will be a lot simpler in the future. It'll be a lot easier to understand. Does that mean, though, that state pensions are, are sorted out now and, and we can kind of forget about... Uh, all these complicated private sector arrangements that we've been encouraged to make over the years? Firstly, the state pension is going to be a basic state safety net, which is what is always intended to be. It'll only deliver about, if you get the full amount, £7,000 per year, which for most people will still be inadequate. Um, what it will do, it will give people a more clearer platform to build their private savings. They will not be penalised or put off savings, uh, making savings as they are currently because of the means testing trap which discourages people from putting away money uh, on the side to um, privately save for their retirement. But I do want to say that it's going to be about 20 years before we get to simplicity because we will have these concurrent systems. The old system will be running with the new system. So I think we've got a while yet until we reach the point of having uh, a simplified state pension system. Okay, thanks, Joe. We have lots more detail on how the state pension changes affect you in this weekend's FT Money. 
And you can also send us your questions about pension reform. Just email us at money at ft.com and we'll try and answer as many of your questions as we can by next week. And don't forget that our website contains some excellent pension planning tools such as a pension calculator and the latest annuity rates. Just go to www.ft.com forward slash money and click on the tools and calculators link. Still to come on the show, the bank of the future may be run by avatars and robots. Could they perhaps make a bigger hash of things than traditional banks? And will the bank of the future be worth investing in? Before that, though, let's take a look at equity income funds. These were all the rage last year as talk of a bond bubble became louder. More and more advisers urged investors to opt for equity income funds instead. Generally speaking, these invest in large blue-chip companies that pay generous dividends and prioritise income generation over capital growth. Last year was a good one for dividends. According to Capita, UK companies paid out almost £80 billion in dividends in 2012. But there's been a big divergence in performance between the best and worst equity income funds in the sector, particularly in terms of the income they actually paid out and the rate at which that grew. During 2012, the best equity income fund, JP Morgan's UK Strategic, saw growth of 24% in its payouts, while the worst, Newton Higher Income, saw a 21% fall. Tanya Poli has been looking at the data in more detail. Tanya, why are some funds growing payments so much faster than others? Well, there's still this split in the equity income sector of funds that basically focus largely on income distribution versus those who target more of a total return approach, which um, obviously includes capital growth. We've got Adrian down the line in Bristol. Is this something that investors need to consider when investing in one of these funds? I think it is. I mean, the total return approach is probably the better approach because if you just target income, you always have the potential risk that your capital can uh, erode and, and disappear. And eventually you end up with a very small capital base that could possibly generating a higher yield, but from a smaller amount. So it's very important to sort of make sure capital is preserved and uh, and can generate a sort of sustainable growing income. Income seekers tend to want you know, income this year, next year, and, and, and many years in the future. So they want a growing income that can beat inflation and, and keep their capital safe as well. What about for those approaching retirement? Should they dig a bit further into the details just to make sure that they've got a UK income fund that actually does seem to be consistently sort of growing its income? Yeah, I mean, what you want to do, particularly with the sort of funds that are perhaps either growing their dividend very rapidly or even cutting their dividend very rapidly, you need to look at the reasons why. And it could be that there's been a special dividend paid out on the stock and, uh, and therefore that fund happens to be do- have an exceptional year. Or it could be, in the case of Newton Higher Income, there's been a, a sort of change in how the fund was being produced, so they, they flagged up that there's an income cut there. They're going to rebase it and, and, and look for a more sustainable income going forward. Um, so what you're looking for an uh, equity income manager is somebody who, who focuses on stable uh, dividends, dividend growth and capital preservation and get that mix uh, right and, and therefore you can you know, have equity income as a long-term strategy. You know, if, if you're re- sort of approaching retirement now, you're in retirement or, or you're actually just saving for retirement 10, 15, 20 years down the line. Yeah, so it's making sure you get that right balance between all those different factors. I mean, are there any particular funds that you recommend that you think have that kind of um, balanced approach? Yeah, I mean, the, the two funds I probably like as core funds. I'd like uh, Artemis Income and the Investigator Petrol Income. 
income. I mean, they've got long-term uh, track records, uh, very good managers with a lot of experience. Uh, they're what I would call core equity income funds, so they're sort of perhaps investing in the sort of traditional blue-chip companies. Um, but you could also look at things like J.O. Hambro UK Equity Income, which is perhaps a little bit more of a mid, mid-cap mid fund. Uh, so it's got uh, it's a little bit more cyclical. It is a little bit more risky, uh, but it's a good way of diversifying your UK equity income because it invests in more of the mid-cap companies. So it's looking for dividend growth on top of perhaps a sustainable dividend. It's, it's looking to try and grow that dividend a little bit more aggressively than perhaps the, the core funds. And um, why are we actually seeing um, sort of UK equity income funds become sort of more popular at the moment? Because obviously I think we had um, sort of new stats out recently which showed that equity, UK equity income funds were the most popular um, fund sector basically last November. So we're obviously seeing some investors move away from fixed income into sort of the UK equity income sector. But, but why is this? I think there are probably two main factors. Uh, I think the first one is uh, basically looking at the uh, what, are, what are our options you have out there for income. And cash has really hit a rock bottom at the moment. So yields on cash are sort of dropping uh, very low. And that's partly to do with the Bank uh, of England's funding for lending program, which has made allowed banks get cheap, uh, cheap capital and don't have to offer very attractive rates. But you've also got corporate bonds of uh, yields have dropped and guilt yields have been very low for a few years now. And they all fell you know, very low in 2012. So what is the alternative? Not as good as equity income at the moment. And I think the other thing is, if you're looking at where to invest in the stock market, I mean, we, we, we sort of breached 6,000 at the beginning of this year, but um, you go back 10 or even 15 years ago, and, and you know, the FTSE was at 6,000. It's, it's you know, in terms of growth of, of the actual base bench, benchmark index, we haven't seen growth. So, and people don't really look for growth in an, a period of austerity. So uh, people are perhaps looking for how do you get those returns when, when growth isn't, isn't in the economy. And uh, equity income is a way of getting that growth. You don't have to be a, an income seeker for it. You can just reinvest that dividend and, and compounding the return on that is, is a very strong uh, long-term strategy for investing and very successful as well. And I guess also we had inflation figures out this week um, and obviously UK equity income is one of those areas that should actually outpace um, inflation in terms of sort of income. Yeah, um, inflation is, is something I think everyone should be aware of, whether you're not you're, you're sort of in retirement, heading to retirement, or you're just starting to invest. What your, your objective should be is beat inflation. And it's uh, the... Um, RPI is, is 3.1%, it rose ever so slightly. Uh, you, you want to be targeting an income yield that's above 3% on cash. That's going to be very hard at the moment. Um, but uh, equity income, you can get yields uh, sort of comfortably in excess of 3% and the potential for capital growth. So I think it, it really appeals to people wanting to beat inflation, and that should be on everyone's mind. Thank you very much, Tanya and Adrian. That was Adrian Lowcock at Hargreaves Lansdowne. As usual, there's lots more about equity income inside this week's FT Money. And don't forget that you can always compare fund performance using the FT's comprehensive fund data pages. You'll find those at www.ft.com forward slash funds data. And whilst we're on the subject of funds, you can uh, get some light relief on our blog site where you can read about my Japan fund dilemma. I've invested in a Japan fund, but my heart really isn't in it. Finally today, we take a look at the future of banking. While a visit to a British bank might still involve inconvenient hours, long queues and shouting at tellers through thick glass, other countries are doing things rather differently. Coffee bar banks, robot employees, virtual consultations and biometric security are all in use already in places like Brazil, France and the United States. And change is coming to our shores too. Banks are under unprecedented regulatory and political scrutiny. 
their reputations have been trashed, their costs are rising, and new entrants like Metrobank, Aldermore and Handelsbanken are starting to nibble away at their market share. Experts say it's time for British banks to innovate or die, and Lucy Warwick-Ching has been looking at what's coming soon to a bank near you. Lucy, first of all, I heard that soon we'll be able to transfer money by mobile phone. Is that right? Yes. So as you mentioned, the UK has been lagging behind some of the other countries in terms of things like the innovation and the technology. But we are starting to see that that is changing. The UK Payments Council announced this week that most of the big major banks will be signing up an initiative that's coming in in 2014 that will actually allow people to transfer cash very simply using their mobile phones, just as simple as texting really to their friends or to their businesses. They just have to sign up with their bank, give give their details to the bank, give their mobile phone to their own bank. Um, so it's all very secure. Um, and then they should be able to just text and uh, transfer money. Surely that means cheques, which, uh, which gained a reprieve a few years ago, really are now on borrowed time. I mean, almost everybody has a mobile phone, don't they? Yes, you'd think so. It's been quite an interesting debate, really. People were very keen on getting rid of cheques um, a few years ago and it almost went through this. They had this legislation that said that that's it, we're going to phase them out. But then there was actually uproar among some of the older consumers that were saying that they really still use cheques, they didn't really see an alternative and the um, Payments Council actually had to do a bit of a U-turn a few years ago and say that they wouldn't phase them out yet. But I think we are on track to really start adopting some of these um, more modern techniques for banking. I mean, I guess some of the older customers who still perhaps don't have things like some smartphones, they may still have some uh, reservations about transferring money via text. So I guess those will need to be addressed. But it does look like the checks are on the way out. And perhaps um, branches might follow them. One of the factoids you unearthed um, was that the average bank customer now only visits their local branch perhaps a few times a year, if at all. Do we actually need bank branches? Well, this is the kind of hot topic of the moment. Obviously, um, the high street banks will say that we do need branches and that customers need to come in and speak to a a human being. Um, But then there's the argument against that, saying that actually customers don't necessarily need to speak to a person. They can speak to somebody via, say, um, a video link or down a telephone. I mean, I think what is going to change the way people do their banking is if banks actually improve the communications with customers. So if they really try and push the expertise into the people that are handling calls and, you know, on the other side of a video link, then I think people probably would be happy to do their banking, you know, not using a branch. But at the moment, if something goes wrong or someone's lost um, some money that they transferred, I think a lot of people do actually like the security of having a branch to be able to walk into and to be able to kind of yell at somebody they think is not doing their job. And finally, uh, bank shares have remained hugely popular amongst private investors, despite all the troubles the banks have faced over recent years. Do you think these changes will make those shares any more attractive and will they ever recover to their to their pre-crisis um, peaks? Well, that's the big question, isn't it? I, I find that whenever I um, meet up with a group of friends or when people find out what job to do, they'll always, at least somebody will say, well, I've, I bought Lloyd shares and what's going to happen to them or I've, I'm holding Barclays shares. I mean, bank shares have been one of the kind of most actively traded shares. I think people like the idea, again, that they can... Uh, walk into a branch, see how that bank is operating and um, they can really kind of understand how that business works. So people have always been 
buying banks. And also at the end of 2008, when Lehman Brothers collapsed, people saw an opportunity to buy bank shares very cheaply. And whereas traditionally, these bank shares have been seen as very kind of safe, secure investments, making record profits and um, paying out dividends. Um, So I guess some people just assume that perhaps if they bought the shares that cheap, if the government then sold their bank stakes, then these shares would go up. But we're still waiting to see those kind of big gains. We've had some gains in the last year and some of the big shares. Lloyd's is up um, 84% over the past year to 52p. Royal Bank of Scotland shares rose by 60% to 350p. Um, But we are still waiting for those bank shares to actually return to the levels that we saw pre-crisis. And they are—they still have a long way to go and there are still quite a lot of risks to factor in. If a lot of the banks start to adopt these very modern technology, um, then perhaps these could be quite a good sector to invest in. Thanks, Lucy. That's all for this week's FT Money show. But it's far from all that's in this week's FT Money We've lots more on the banks of the future, including biometric security, more on the investment case, plus an interview with the man who runs Handelsbanken in the UK. That's the Swedish bank that's expanding here. If you're excited by the rise in equity markets that's been going on since the new year, we have a guide to how to choose a stockbroker. And we also look at how big fund management groups are circumventing the new rules on financial advice and are still paying staff commission to sell you things that you may not want or which may not be suitable for you. And you can always catch up at ft.com forward slash money, where you could also read our latest blog posts, including one on the end of mortgages for self-build homes. Those are at ft.com forward slash money matters. But until then, it's goodbye from me, Tanya, Joe, Lucy and Adrian Lowcock. Until next week. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.